I had the opportunity to spend quite a bit of time with some very, very, very successful people. And we were talking about legacy and what we want our legacy to be. What do we want to leave behind after our days are over with? And a really interesting comment was brought up. And this is something that I think I need to share with everyone because it's something that not very many people think about. We all think about all of the success and we all think about what we're going to leave behind and how great it's going to be for whoever it is, whether that be an organization, our families, whatever it might be. We're proud to leave all of these things behind to the next generation. This one particular topic, though, really stood out and made me realize that, yeah, you know, I have some work to do in this area as well. As many of you know, my father passed away when I was 16. He drowned in Cape Hatteras. And I'm not going to get into all the details as to what happened afterwards. But essentially, this idea, this concept that was brought up was something that I lived through as well. And the idea is so simple. All you have to do is just put instructions in place for whoever it is that you might be giving your assets to afterwards. Tell them bank accounts, tell them plans, who has what information. If you have a business, how does the business run? Who is responsible for what? Just planning out and giving that information to your heirs can be incredibly, incredibly powerful. And they will thank you over and over and over and over again for having the foresight to be able to put all of that information in place and have it in one area so that people know and understand it. On Invest in Square Feet, we unlock the secrets of wealthy entrepreneurship. I'm Matt Shields, and my mission is to help business owners just like you protect your wealth so that you can invest passively in multifamily real estate. Okay, so today we're going to have a really interesting conversation with a sales professional named Jeremy Miner. If you've heard of him before, you probably know that he has some, we'll call it unorthodox ways of selling. And we'll get into this, but most sales trainers, most salespeople approach sales with a very, I guess, happy type of mindset. You want to be the person that very upbeat and positive when you approach whoever it is that you're trying to sell to. And Jeremy teaches a completely different idea. And I can tell you from experience that this does work. This does get you more engaged with your sales prospect. So I'm not going to spoil it. I'm not going to go any deeper than that. Jeremy's going to dive into the entire process, how you can increase your sales. And it is completely unintuitive to what most people believe. Remember the sales manager's like, hey, Jeremy, just remember when they open the door, you got to be really excited, be really enthusiastic and start talking to them about all the great things this is going to do for them. But I noticed from the very first door that I was getting all these objections. People were more turned off the more excited I was. We can't afford it. We don't need it. We already have a company for that. We already talked to you guys last month. I need to talk to my spouse. Let me think it over. Can you call me back a week, a month, a year later? And I remember probably about seven to eight weeks in of that, if I remember, 
there was this one time I was standing on the curb. I was actually sitting down. I still remember because my legs, you're like, when you, have you ever done door-to-door sales? Sure. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, when you go around door-to-door for 10 straight hours, your legs start to get pretty damn tight, mm-hmm. right? It's a workout in itself. And you're talking like middle of July, full humidity, sweat drenched down your back. You're at nine o'clock at nine. I remember one particular, it was a Friday night. I was sitting there waiting for the sales manager to pick me up. I worked 12 hours that day, made zero sales. So when you make zero sales in a straight commission sales job, that means you make zero dollars. You could be better off working at McDonald's. That whole week, I'd made zero sales. So I'd worked 60 plus hours, made zero dollars. I remember sitting there, just barely married, child on the way. How can I go home to her and say, we don't have enough money to pay our rent in a couple of weeks. We're gonna have to move in with your parents, live in the basement. I was gonna be one of those guys, okay? My pride, I had too much pride to do that. And I remember thinking like, maybe selling just wasn't for me. Maybe I just wasn't a salesperson. I was not born. I need to get a real job, okay? And I remember when the sales manager picked me up that night, he popped in a Tony Robbins CD because 20 plus years ago, people, believe it or not, listen to things that are called CDs. He popped in the CD, and I might be butchering it, but he said, most people fail for the simple reason They don't learn the right skills that are necessary to succeed. They don't learn the right skills. And I went on to say that everybody's taught skills, but the people who fail are the ones who are not taught the right ones. And when I heard that, it was like this, maybe the heavens open up to me, like this light bulb moment, like, you know, like the God was speaking to me, it sent down his messengers that maybe what the company was training and what I was learning from some of the old sales gurus, maybe they just weren't the right skills. Maybe they were outdated. Maybe they just didn't work very well with today's prospects. I never thought that could even be a possible. I was so new in sales. I just didn't know what I didn't know. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, my degree that I was going to school for was magically, thank heavens, behavioral science. And I was getting a minor in human psychology, okay, which is kind of important to understand in sales. I don't think most salespeople understand the psychological impact of, of the way the brain thinks. And so I was learning from my professors that the most persuasive way to communicate was here, the theory, but from the gurus, they were teaching it was over here. It was like completely opposite. So I'm like, how do I take the theory of behavioral science and how the brain makes decisions to do something or not? How do I take that and put that into a sales process? Mm-hmm. So that was my whole thing at that point. How do I do that? So I started learning how to use techniques that work with human behavior. So instead of pushing my prospects that trigger sales resistance that most salespeople are taught, I started learning from just the way human beings interact and the way they think psychology to get my prospects to pull me in where I didn't have to push. When I started learning that skill, selling became very, very easy and extremely profitable from that point. You with me? Yeah, 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 yeah. So walk through an example of that. Like, right. So I would imagine that when you first started out selling whatever it was you're selling, you know, is, you know, knock, knock, knock on the door, you know, hey, ma'am, we're, we're here, we're selling, you know, this product and it's, you know, going to be great. You're going to get this and this and this. And oh, no, I don't want it. I don't want it. Like you said, you went through all the different objections. What did that turn into after you started realizing this? How did that pitch change, would you say? Yeah, and it's obviously different door-to-door than if you're selling B2B or more inbound leads, outbound leads. I'll try to give different examples for that as well. But what I started noticing is that the more I looked 
and acted and talked like a salesperson, the more resistance I was getting from the prospect. Mm -hmm. So I started thinking, even in those days, about 22 at that point, how do I reduce that resistance? So I'm not competing with that in the first minute. Because if you're competing with sales resistance the very first minute, it's so hard to overcome that. You're just competing with objections the whole time. It, it just makes selling so stressful when it doesn't have to be. So how do I reduce resistance? So as a door-to-door salesperson, which is going to be different than if you're selling to a boardroom meeting, it's a little bit different there. But what I started doing is I'm like, okay, instead of wearing all these nice clothes that my sales manager taught me I should wear and like nice watches and jewelry, because that just smells like what? Right. It's a bit salesy. Yeah, exactly. Salesy. How do I get them to view me not as a salesperson, even in my wardrobe? So I'm like, okay, what I'm going to do is I bought like a $10 Walmart watch because I didn't have any money anyways. It wasn't like I was wearing a fancy watch, but I bought like a $10 Walmart watch. I remember I put a tape measure on my side of my pants. I wore just cargo khakis. I wore white New Balance grandpa shoes. You know what I'm talking about? The white New Balance, like when you become grandpa, you start wearing (laughs) white New Balance because you want the cover. I started wearing those as a 22-year-old, okay? Just a regular polo shirt, very basic, had the company logo on there. And then I'm like, okay, what other things can I do? I got a metal clipboard like this with like a survey thing on it. So I think I'm more like a meter reader. And then I went and got a lime green and an orange construction vest. I'm not kidding when I say this. And just that alone, when they came to the door, lowered resistance because they didn't view me as a salesperson trying to sell them something. So instead of being up in their grill like I was, I was more back and I was sitting here like, looking around the home, kind of looking around, like I'm doing a survey and they come to the door like, uh, yeah, how can I help you? And I'm like, yeah, are you guys the um, the homeowners here? Very like confused, like, yeah, yeah, we're the homeowners, what's going on? And immediately, instead of like triggering sales resistance that most salespeople do in the first 10 seconds, I'm triggering curiosity. Okay, just that alone, man, I could go into a lot more, but just that alone right there, Almost, I call it the confused old man. Because when you hear a confused old man, what do you want to do? You want to help. Yeah, help. Exactly. Exactly. Right? You want to help the confused old man. That's a big analogy. Just like that, lowered sales resistance by 80, 90%. And then if you have the right questions to ask at the right time, you trigger every more. One thing we all have to understand, this is just behavioral science 101. Within the first seven to 12 seconds of any sales interaction you are involved in, whether that's door to door, whether that's on a cold call to a company, whether that's presenting to a board of directors, whether that's in a home selling B2C or an inbound lead you're setting here like we are on Zoom, your prospects subconsciously, we cannot even help it, the way our brain works, are already picking up social cues from you. They're picking up on your verbal and nonverbal and your body language cues from your tonality and what you were saying and or asking that triggers their brain to react. This is scary if we don't understand this. React in one of two ways, okay? So if we come across aggressive, overly assumptive, needy, you know what I mean by needy, right? You can tell when a salesperson needs the deal, right? Hey, do you have two minutes of your time where I can take? Nobody believes you're only gonna take two minutes of time. You're needy and you come across attached, and you don't know the right questions to ask, it triggers the brain to go into what we call fight or flight. You've heard of fight or flight. Sure, absolutely. Everybody has, but does anybody know what triggers fight or flight? Most people don't. And as a salesperson, you probably want to understand 
what triggers fight or flight mode. So you eliminate that so you don't trigger fight or flight mode because then you're just competing against the great wall of China, I call it. It's like the great wall of objections you have to then break down. I'd rather not have a wall at all. I'd rather just have complete openness so I can do that. So that's where the prospect, when you trigger fight or flight mode, as everybody knows, they do what? They get defensive. That's fight mode. Or flight mode is they try to get rid of you. And they say things like that. Oh, I forgot about the appointment. Hey, I'm too busy. Can you call me back later? Oh yeah, call me back Saturday night at 10 p.m. Okay, I'll call you back Saturday. And then they never answer, right? Or, you know, after all, we, we just don't need it. Oh, we're good. We already used somebody for that. How much is this going to cost me within the first 30 seconds? You're, just, you're triggering that. Now, once you learn how to work with human behavior, Okay, we call that neuroemotional persuasion questions. It stands for NEPQ. And you learn how to come across more neutral in your conversations. When I say neutral, that means you're unbiased. You're not quite sure if you can even help you. How could you even know if you could help it? Like if somebody comes to you and they say, hey, Jeremy, I appreciate you. Let's say you're going in front of a boardroom and they're like, hey, Jeremy, this sounds really good. Somebody you haven't even met, a decision maker. You've met with three or four other decision makers. Now you're coming in, there's eight. Four of them don't even know who you are. And they're like, hey, we are to use a vendor for this. Like, why should we go with you? What would most salespeople say when they hear that? What do you think they would say? Yeah, they, would, they, they start going, oh, well, we're the best at this. Well, or you should this, go with or, us because yeah. we've been ranked the number one in customer service. And we, JD Associates, ranked us and our clients are this and this and this. That's why you should go with us and our competitors. It's in one ear out the other. Because why? Because every salesperson says that. So they just associate you with everyone else trying to stuff their solution down their throat that's ever tried to sell them something. So what I want to do is I want to disarm that person. I want them to let their guard down because if I can get them to let their guard down, then they become open to what I'm offering. If I can't, very hard to make a sale, okay? Or it just prolongs the sales cycle by 10 times, okay? So if they say something like that, I'm just going to lean back and say, well, I'm not quite sure that you should yet. Yeah. You know, we'd have to understand a little bit more about what you're using right now in XYZ area just to see if we could even help. Because there's some firms where there's just not much we can do for them. And they're sometimes better off staying with who they already have. So for example, we need to understand and then boom. I want you to watch when you do that, the body language and the demeanor of the prospect when you say, well, why should we go with you? well, I'm not quite sure that you should yet. Pause two or three seconds and they're going to be like, mm. yeah, <laughs> you can just tell that it just, you take over the status in that room because experts and authorities don't need the sale. They already have all these clients that are getting results. They don't need you. In fact, when you do that, it's almost like they view you much differently. They're like, whoa, well, okay, maybe I should listen to this person. Like he doesn't seem needy. Because when you feel that somebody's needy, let's say you're single and you're chasing after somebody you're really interested in, you just keep chasing them in the beginning. What do they typically do? Yeah, they're going to run away. They run. Yeah. But if you act like you don't need them, what do they typically do? Yeah. Then, then they're all over you. They, yeah, they want that. You win more. It's the yeah. same thing in sales. I, I don't know why nobody's put that together. <laughs> it's just, that's human psychology 101. That is so interesting. So you know, obviously, again, this this can go in all kinds of different directions, depending on exactly what you're trying to sell and the 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 platform or the medium that you're trying to use it in. 
But do you have a a framework or a structure that you would say you know, works pretty well and pretty well, you know, any situation to, again, that opening comment, that opening remark, is it yeah, essentially, so, you know, I'm not, I'm not sure you should the big, or? The biggest problem with most companies and their salespeople is that their salespeople do not have a structured sales process that everyone in the company is following. Everybody's doing their own thing. They're just winging it. And then the owners, the, the sales management are wondering why, oh, they're losing 30% of their staff every six months, having to replace them. They just, there's no sales structure that actually works. The reason why our company has grown so fast, like Inc. doesn't really matter, but Inc. Magazine ranked us the fastest, or Inc. 5000 list ranked us the number one fastest growing sales training company, not overall company, but number one fastest growing sales training company in the United States last year in just our third year. The reason that is, is because our sales structure, our methodology that we train companies, any BQ, works for any industry. When people say, well, I don't know. I know you train this company and that company in this industry, but I don't know if it'll work for me. I sell XYZ digit and it has to be sold a certain way. I just don't know. All we simply say is, do you sell to human beings? Yes. Now, do the human beings you talk to, do your prospects to talk to, do they have problems? Yes. Or do they have at least emotional needs? Yes. Does your solution solve those problems and emotional needs? Yes. Then what we train you would actually work for what you sell. Okay. So what we use a methodology called NEPQ. That stands for Neuroemotional Persuasion Question. So from the start of that conversation, okay, from what we call connecting questions, which take the focus off you, put it on them. From situation questions that help you and the prospect find out what their real situation is. From problem awareness questions, this is all structure. It's not out of order, it's in a structure because it persuades them the most, it pulls them in the most. Problem awareness questions that help the prospect find out what their real problems are. One thing we all have to, and we all know this, is that most of your prospects you initially start talking to them don't even know that they have a problem. Or maybe they know they have a problem, but they don't really know what the problem is. They know that something's wrong, but they don't know what the real problem is. Or most of them don't really understand the consequences of what happens if they don't do anything about solving the problems. So when you learn what we train you, not only are you able to help them find that one problem, but you're also helped them to able to find two or three or maybe four other problems they didn't even realize they had. And when you're able to do that, not by telling them that, you tell them what their problems are and it does what? One ear, out the other. You're biased. You're the salesperson. Your questioning allows them to see how bad their problems really are. And it builds a massive gap in their mind from where they are. We call that their current state or current situation compared to where they want to be. We call that their objective state. Now, what's the gap in between? All of these newfound problems that your questioning skills allow them to see they have that they didn't know they had before. When you're able to do that, they start to view you how. They don't view you like all these other salespeople trying to push something down their throat. They view you as the expert, the trusted authority in the market that they're going to buy all of the time. So problem awareness questions help you and them find out what the real problems are, the root cause of the problem. See, most salespeople can help them find a problem but they're not able to help the prospect realize what the root cause of that problem is. And then most importantly, how those problems are affecting them even personally. I'm talking even CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, how those problems are affecting them personally, the business person, okay? 
Then we want to move into a stage called solution awareness questions, allow them to see what their future is going to look like once all these newfound problems are solved. So they're like, oh my gosh, this is what my future is going to look like for me, for my business, for themselves personally, depending on what you sell, B2C or B2B. And then we want to ask what's called consequence questions that allow them to see what the consequences are, the ramifications are if they don't do anything about solving the newfound problems, okay? Mm-hmm. Then we're, if we're in B2B sales, we're then either going to transition into the next step that could be a demo, the next step could be a proposal, the next step could meet the board, the next step could meet the next decision maker, just depends on what your next step is in your sales cycle B2B. If you're in B2C, if it's a one call close, say you sell life insurance or something, just as an example, be the next step presentation, okay? Or maybe if it's a two-step, next step demo, then the close, just depends on your industry, your process. We teach all of that. How do you present back where it emotionally connects the dots. So instead of boring your prospects to death with like a 50 slide deck show about here's our corporate office, it looks so fancy, here's our awards, nobody cares about that. I hate to tell you this. Nobody can give an SHIT about what your corporate office looks like or how many awards you won. They can Google that themselves and look at your company website. They do not care. You're just boring them. We want to connect the emotional dots of their problem the root cause and where they want to go and how our solution will actually solve those problems and get them where they want to go. That's what they care about. And that gets them to think results-based thinking over price-based thinking. Because if you get them to think price-based thinking, you're dead. They're just going to negotiate you down. You get them to think results-based thinking, they will gladly pay way more to your company to solve their problems and get them what they want if they can feel like you can get them the best result. They will gladly pay way more. I can assure you that. And then we want to ask what are called commitment questions that get them to commit to take the next step and purchase what you're offering to solve their problem. So that would be the sales structure in an over. Bunch of boring nerd stuff, I know. No, no, I, I love that. And I, I'm curious, I think that a lot of people will go in, like you said, they've got their 50 page or 50 slide deck thing right. that can go into this pitch and <laughs> here's who we are and we did this and we did have this and and all of Nobody this. And, and fine. Yeah. And finally, at the end, they get to whatever it is that they're, you know, they're, they're trying to sell. With your approach, would you say you're selling in a boardroom? Would you walk in and start going into we're that? We're going to have a presentation up on the board, but we're also going to take them. See, it's not like we're just going into the boardroom and that's the first meeting we've had. It's yeah. typically a first call discovery. If you're selling B2B for most industries, the first call is going to be a discovery call with some type of C-level executive that might be part of the decision-making process. Probably not. Yeah. Right. And then you're navigating. You have to learn the right questions to navigate through the organization and bring in the other decision makers. Forbes had an article the other day, the average company in the United States of America, we're not even talking Fortune 500 or Fortune 100, just the average size company has 6.7 decision makers and or influencers. Now, even if it's not a decision maker, what happens if you're selling some type of software? Let's say that you're selling cybersecurity and you're selling to a bank, say Wells Fargo. For example, I'm just throwing out some some companies. Not only do you want to get involved with the decision makers, let's say the CFO or the CEO makes the ultimate decision, I don't know, or the department. But let's say the CTO is going to be the one that's going to have to train their staff on how this new software works. They don't make the decision, but they're the ones responsible for training the staff. Do you think you probably want to get that CTO and the department head over there involved? Because do you think they can influence the ultimate decision maker on what they decide to do? Hell yeah. 
because the ultimate decision maker might not be down in the trenches and even know what their problems are. They might have zero idea. They're over the company. They don't know what's going on in cybersecurity part. So not only do you have to get the decision makers involved, you have to get the influencers because that CTO might feel his job is going to be threatened by this new software. They could feel like it's going to take too much to install it. It's going to take too much to operate it. And then they start shoving it off to the decision makers and dissuade the decision maker and then the sales loss. So you have to know how to navigate and bring those other people in. But if you're in a boardroom, typically there's going to be even other decision makers in there who don't know anything about you. You go in there and just go to a presentation. You're, it's like you're winging it. You're hoping and praying that something you said in the presentation is going to stick and they're going to magically buy. We call that opium. You know, it's a drug. I love it. So many salespeople take where they hope and pray something they're going to say is going to stick. And that's a hard and unpredictable way to close sales. Just you have no control. So we want to go in with that sales process. It might be an abbreviated questioning process, but we're going to start off that instead of like, hey, going right into our pitch, we might come in and be like, now, John, I know we've met and we've talked about X and Y and Z. Let's let's do this. We, we prepared something to go through on how we could solve, you know, the challenges that Jim and, and Laura brought up the other day. But just so I don't go over things that they might've already discussed with you, what would everybody like to cover today just to see if we can actually help? Mm -hmm. Then I wanna get like, well, we wanna cover this and we wanna cover that. And I'm like, okay, now I know where to go. And then I'm gonna ask more questions around that. I might start going through the presentation, but I'm also gonna stop and ask situation and problem awareness questions while I'm going through the presentation. So instead of a 50 slide deck, I might have that down to 10 or 12 but my questioning skills are really pulling out more emotion because that's where decisions are made, buying decisions. And then I can close that deal. You with me? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. That makes perfect sense. If you could draw a picture of some of the results that you've gotten, right? Like what a salesperson's results might've looked like before they were going through your training. I mean, we, like after? Been, we have over 7,000 testimonials in the, in the last 28 months. So we train every industry. So Forbes says there's 158 industries and then subsets of those. We're in all of those at this point. So we have, we trained over 351,000 salespeople and counting wow. in the, in the wow. last three years, over 7,000 decimals. The hard part about getting testimonials from salespeople is they never want to share yeah. how they're outselling everybody three to one. It's like pulling teeth. Like we don't even ask people anymore. People just come into our Facebook groups or ads and they'll post like, hey, I started going through NEPQ a year ago and my income went from 5,000 a month in commissions. Now I'm making 25,000 a month in commissions, selling the exact same thing. Or, you know what? We have this home improvement company and we were doing 5 million in sales two years ago. And last year we did 47 million in sales, like massive results. That's, you know, that's why we're ranked so high on Inc's 5,000 list is because you can't have that type of growth as a company without getting crazy results for your clients. And that's kind of why it spread from Fortune 100 companies. We even have a few of those clients now all the way down to celebrities like Ryan Sirhan's one of our clients, the million dollar listing New York guy. We train all this salespeople that sells real estate lead generation coaching programs. Wasn't that a great conversation? I know that I learned so much and I hope that you did as well. So in today's episode, we learned just how important it is to approach the sales process from your customer's point of view. What is it that they're concerned with? What is it that they are interested in learning and fixing in their own life? We learned how that typical happy, upbeat, 
characteristic that most salespeople have can actually be creating sales rejection before the conversation even starts. Success in sales is all about building relationships. And when you approach the sales call from a way where you are truly trying to understand what it is that the customer is struggling with, what are their concerns, you're going to build a much, much deeper, more lasting relationship. If you're interested in learning more from Jeremy, I suggest that you check out some of his Facebook groups. Jeremy gives away a tremendous, tremendous amount of value for free in those groups. But he also has a free course at salesrevolution.pro where you can sign up. And again, you get a free course called NEPQ 101 mini course. And he says that there are a few questions included in that mini course and just including those few questions alone to your sales process is going to increase your sales. And don't forget, if you want to understand what the wealthy do, head over to invest in square feet and sign up for our newsletter. We include more content in that newsletter from our guests, and you can only get that from that newsletter. That is also how you learn about different investment opportunities in real estate and technology that we personally invest in. We drop every Wednesday and we are available on whatever podcast platform it is that you use. 